This is God's word. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life, forevermore. The word of the Lord. invite you to pray with me as we begin. God of grace, as we come into this space, we, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds, different stories, and we look to one story, we look to one big story, your story. And as we do that, help us as we approach thinking about this and looking for, for something to, to connect with our story, as we look to you for, for some some something that we walk out of here and we say, that was good. Maybe that was good news for my life. Join us as we attempt to do that and help us to know as we sit here that we're all in the same boat. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. Every single one of us is more broken than we want to be and than we want others to know. And you continue to surprise us and to draw us to yourself by the fact that you move towards broken people. And you make it so that through Jesus, we are more loved and accepted by you than we ever imagined. Speak to us now and help change us and change our habits through that gracious message. Amen. These, these guys named Sly and Jay, or sorry, Matt Sly and Jay Patrickios. It's a very small print that I decided to have in front of me this morning. This morning. Uh, they started this website in 2002, and it's called Future Me. Future Me. And it allows people to send messages to themselves years or decades from the time they were written. What would you write to yourself a decade from now? Uh, in, the year, in the year 2015, a man named Adam is set to get an email from himself that asks, do you still write? Do you still draw? Does Radio Shack still exist? <laughs> Sly explains the rationale. We want people to think about their future and what their goals and dreams and hopes and fears are. We're trying to facilitate some serious existential pondering. So another person says, I hope you are moving up in your job. I also hope that you are making more responsible choices. That's interesting. And then this one. I love this one. I hope you're better because as I'm writing this letter, you're doing terrible. And you just think, some of you have been there. I know you have. You've been in that place, right? Or if you were going to write to the future you that, I mean... Those words, they, they just pierce into reality and the reality of our lives. I hope you're better because as I'm writing this letter, you're doing terrible. And the truth is, you know, we all get to places where we want to change and change. How does that work? We've been talking about habits and how habits work. And they're important in change. And this guy, Charles Duhigg, wrote this best-selling book that came out last year, a New York Times bestseller, called The Power of Habit. 
And he says, he talks about, he's, he's kind of got all this interesting psychology and sociology about habits. And he says this, this fascinating fact about habits, sort of like the secret weapon of habit change. He says, for a habit to stay change, people must believe change is possible. And most often, that belief only emerges with the help of a group. The help of a group. Community. The power of change, the secret weapon of change, is community, according to him. But also, in a sense, you can see how that overlays nicely with Psalm 133 that we're looking at today when it talks about people living in human harmony and how God, the God of the Bible, loves to move towards that and bring all kinds of blessing, copious blessing, all kinds of blessing upon places where human harmony exists. It's like God... God's blessing flows freely along relational lines of harmony. That seems to be what the images are pointing to in this psalm. They're not modern-day images. You know, oil going down a beard and onto a priest's robes and in the dew of Hermon, and, and you just, like, what is that, you know? Um, and, but both of those analogies refer to something that you connect more with God and, and in God's terrain. God's got the switches for for you know this 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 ancient sacred blessing, you know that scene is coming from God, and God's hand is in that. And then this the idea of dew and and the water from the sky, um, another realm of God, and that's all in God's hands. But both of them, so you got the God element in this psalm. God brings blessing upon community, but also um, it's it's a blessing that's um, just almost gratuitous. There's so much of it. It's, it's precious oil, the psalm says, but then it's, it's not being used in a precious, miserly way. It's, it's just dripping all down, and it's ending up not only in the beard, but all down the robes. That's how much God wants to, to bring his fruitful life to those who are being connected harmoniously in community. In that dew of Hermon, well, that's, a, that's an incredibly... Uh, wet sort of dousing of a mountain that's really tall, that only that mountain gets it. But then the psalm talks about that, that moisture making its way to a place where that doesn't usually exist. So God's blessing coming upon human harmony in ways that are graciously copious, but also in unexpected ways and places, wherever human harmony is wherever God's people live, what does it say? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In many ways, as we look at our world today, you would expect to say um, something like how rare and impossible it is for, for humans and God's people to live in unity. You know, and that's just our reality is you look around and this doesn't happen very often. You could basically summarize the newspaper almost every day by saying, Everyone still not getting along, you know? I mean, that's, that's it. You don't even have to open the paper. Um, and it's not much different in the church, because this is saying God's people, right? And, the, and, and, of course, that's kind of the direction we're going, is, is how does that look in the context of the church following Jesus? In many ways, too... I, we fail, but if we, if we didn't fail, if we, if we hit it out of the park, if we did all the things 
great that Jesus suggests, all the little pointers that Jesus once said about living together in unity and harmony, um, I, I have this feeling like if we did that, the world would be at the church's doorstep, that everyone would love Christians and everyone would think of going to church as the, just the most uh, sensical thing you could do, sensible thing. Um, for example, if we, just some of these simple things that Jesus said. In the Lord's Prayer, he gives us this short prayer to pray. And there's only one thing that you're taught to pray related to community or human relationships. So it goes, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the only part of that prayer that relates between you and other people. Um, I I would say that means it's pretty important. It's one of the important ways to live with other people. So are Christians known as people who have a bent towards forgiving those who have wronged them? I guess it depends on who you ask, but I haven't heard that as the general picture of what people think of as church people. Oh, it's so wonderful to be in a relationship with them because they're just so graciously forgiving about everything. Um, And then there's another interesting thing Jesus said. It's kind of like a powerhouse principle of Christian community, of all community, really. Jesus says in Matthew 18, he says, um, if a brother or sister sins... Go and point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And it kind of goes on and outlines a a sort of approach to dealing with when you've been wronged or when you have a problem with someone. And I've been familiar with this because I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and I've been familiar with it through college as I studied the Bible and seminary. So I had to ask somebody at church once. um, Some of you might know him. He moved on to St. Louis, Drew Huang. And I asked him, what, do, do most people know about that verse? Because I mean, that's like a powerhouse, awesome verse that really lends towards unified community. You know, don't, don't immediately go and, and talk to other people. Keep it as contained as you can. Go directly to the person. And then, if necessary, maybe move out one small sphere at a time to contain the problem, contain the, the bad vibe you have about someone. All right, so that's, that's some background. But I asked Drew about this. Do, do people even know about this, and do they do it? And his answer was basically no. They don't. Maybe they know about it, maybe they don't. But most people, he said, in his experience living in cr- community, and I know he knows the Bible really well. I know he was part of a, uh, leading one of our community pods at the time. And he said, no, we, we don't do it. We almost never do that. People never do that in church life because it goes so much against the current of what we want to do. We want to go over here and talk about you, you know. You did this thing, and I, I got to... And we say, we just kind of have to sort out this issue over here. We have to kind of figure it out and, 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 and understand our feelings and try to get a better perspective on it by going elsewhere. That's just what we do. We, do, we almost never do that. But what if, again, what if people would look at church people and say, they just, they're so, even when they have a problem with you, they're so respectful and considerate of your reputation, and of they're almost trying to lift you up while they also need to kind of connect with you about a, a problem that they have. Or take the view of that Jesus gave on being a leader. He talked about leaders as being, you know, if, if you're a leader, if you're great, then you're, one, you're actually one of the people who serves the most, who gives yourself for the benefit of others. Um, that is, that is the, the central idea of leadership in, in those who would follow Jesus. 
And I find it interesting that as the new pope was chosen, just about all I heard in the span of a few days, I just kept hearing this soundbite and these, these soundbites over and over and over that, ex- that people were exclaiming in surprise that here's a leader who, as he, as he was given higher positions of leadership and influence, he, he seemed to uh, give himself away more or use his position to give himself away. They kept, kept marveling over the fact that here's somebody who, as he had more power and influence, he would say, no, I'm not going to live in the archbishop mansion that I'm entitled to. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live in a small apartment. I'm, I'm going to eschew the, the limousine that's offered to me, and I'm going to ride the bus to work. And everyone's marveling at this. What kind of leadership is this? And you say, well, he, he got it from Jesus. <laughs> he, actually, that's, that's very similar to the idea that Jesus... And once in a while, this does. you get these little sparks of people living in community with respect to others in a way that it does exist. But by and large, I find, I find us failing. I find myself failing. And in the early church, you know, we get kind of dreamy, and you might say, certainly in those early days of the church, after Jesus ascended, and wasn't it just this blissful time when the church was really growing? And, and you look a little closer, and you see Paul and Barnabas, two of the main leaders going out to town to town, city to city, saying... Let us tell you about the love of Jesus. And they got to a point where they, couldn't, they, they were so mad and, and disagreeing with each other so much that they had to part ways and go on, a, on separate journeys at one point. They couldn't keep it together. They couldn't stay unified. At one point, the Apostle Paul writes to these different churches. They have these problems. One is in, um, I think it's the church uh, in Ephesus. Might be wrong. Might be, uh, yeah, I think it's the, the Philippi church. And he, and, he, and he writes about these two women who aren't getting along. And he says, I plead with them to be of one mind. And they're women who have been side by side with him in gospel ministry. And he has to write from hundreds of miles away to try to get some way that they might be unified as they're in a very small community together. And you've got the church of Corinth. There's a whole, there's a whole story there about how people... There was in sort of an in crowd and an out crowd, and there was it maybe had the lines of class and privilege connected to it, so that the sort of VIP meeting might happen, and they might have communion together, which was more of a meal and a feast. And the people who weren't quite in that v, VIP crowd would come, and the food would be all gone, and the wine would be all drunk, and someone might be all drunk, and uh, and and so Paul is writing to that church, going, ah, uh, something's you know, let's work on this unity thing here a little bit wasn't super pretty sight early in the church. And it's, it's just really always very hard. And so Eugene, Eugene Peterson is a writer and a pastor and a thinker. And he, he writes really well about this as he talks about this psalm. He says, God's children do different things in community. Some run away from it and pretend that the family doesn't exist. So he lists a few ways here that, that we deal with this. Some run away from it and pretend that the family doesn't exist. And moving on with the family analogy, he says, some move out and get an apartment on their own from which they return to make occasional visits, nearly always showing up for the parties and bringing a gift to show that they really do hold the others in fond regard. And some would never dream of leaving, but cause others to dream of it for them. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Um, 
For they are always criticizing what is served at the meals, quarreling with the way the housekeeping is done, and complaining that the others in the family are either ignoring or taking advantage of them. And then he says, I love this, he says, and some, some determine to find out what God has in mind by placing them in this community called a church. Learn how to function in it harmoniously and joyously and develop the maturity that is able to share and exchange God's grace with those who might otherwise be viewed as nuisances. I love that. Able to share and exchange God's grace with those who might otherwise be viewed as nuisances. Obviously, I think, I think he wants us to be moving in the direction of that last one. And he, he doesn't get that from, from nowhere. He, he gets it from the Bible. That's the picture. And maybe some of you, maybe you've been in different places on that spectrum. Of, you've been d- different of those people that I just listed. Maybe you've even gone through all, all of those. You've been each of those at different phases of your life. Um, how, ask yourself, do you, do you have any answer to the question, how do you become like that, like that last person, that you would be able to bring grace in the midst of the nuisances of Christian community. How do you do that? The Bible gives us basically a a two-step method on that. It's the Bible two-step, little dance you do in Christian community. And it goes something like this. You are, first of all, this is the part, a little shocking part. You are a nuisance that God chose to connect with. Everyone say, I am a nuisance. Some of you didn't say it. Just kidding. I don't care if you say it. I am a nuisance. That's, the, that's where it starts. That's where Christian community, that's where this um, high-octane uh, kind of performance in Christian community starts. I am a, I am a nuisance that God decided to, to commit to connecting with and to not give up. And this is where the Christian faith is just a little more realistic than what might be a sort of um, sunshine-blowing self-help, help, self-help approach that you might find on the shelf of a bookstore. It starts with this, and it goes to, to a better place, but it, it's, it's a place you need to start, you need to ponder, and you need to get in touch with a little bit. Am I a nuisance to God? This is how it comes to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 sort of the theological language to saying, I am a nuisance that God chose to connect with anyway. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. For us. So what happens uh, in the Bible, what, what the gospel says to you, and the gospel is sort of a word we use for this good news, this message, is that Jesus, that God visits the world of nuisances and Jesus becomes the representative nuisance. And you know how the world, you know how we're used to people treating nuisances? You basically, you kind of, uh, I know you know this. I know you people are human. You, you just kind of, you kind of cut them off. You kind of put a little distance in space. And eventually in its, you know, in its most raw form, it's, a, it's cutting off. 
distancing, cutting out of community. And Jesus became the representative nuisance and experienced that cutting off completely on the cross. And he did it so that he could be temporarily cut off from the Father so that you could be permanently connected. And that's the second part. So the first part is, I am a nuisance, which you may or may not believe. You may or may not have said it out loud. The second part is that um, you get plugged in to God's richest connection. You know, we look to a lot of outlets. We look to a lot of power sources. And what we find is there's not enough current in the places we go for connection. There's not enough amps, if you're an electrician, to draw from. And so we blow a fuse or something shorts out in our life. That's, that's been some of your, that, that's been your story, is that you were drawing from something that didn't have enough current, and it, it got to a point and it just shorted out. And you hit a moment of truth and honesty in your life. Well, God basically says, I'm going um, to rescue you all from that dilemma, and I'm going to connect, I'm going to give you the connection that will feed you forever that you can then make as many, you can string together as many back-to-back connections off of this one connection as you want because it is enough forever to connect with. The language of the Bible is that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are, um, they have this unity within a, a sort of community of personas. And so that when God initially creates humans, the, the language is let us create humans in our own image. And then when Jesus is baptized, there's this moment where the, there's, a, there's the son getting baptized and then there's the father's voice saying, this is my son, and there's the Holy Spirit there as well coming down upon Jesus like a dove. There's, and there's this oneness, but there's this multiplicity. And I can't get, it gets a little funny trying to explain it any more than that. But that's God, and that's what God decides to let you plug into. The blissful, unified connection, the perfect and pure and lasting and forever kind of connection that God has even within himself. He says, I'll cut off. My son will be cut off as a representative nuisance to let nuisances like you in on that connection forever. That's the gospel. And so Jesus says in, uh, in John chapter 17, very famous prayer that Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his sort of small circle, the inner circle of disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So now he's talking about us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, and listen to this, if you're at all doubting what I'm saying about God connects us to himself, this is what Jesus says. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
sounded almost like a rhyme. Ancient Jesus rap. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, I don't know if you think you're amazing and you don't think you're a nuisance and maybe you need to work more on that part. Or maybe you know to your, your core, you say, yes, I am a nuisance. My name is Mark and I am a nuisance. But you need to ponder what this means. You need to think about this. You need to live with this and try to incorporate it into the struggles that you have right now in life. That there is a standing invitation for you to plug in to a connection, the only connection that can feed you. And you know what that does? When you have that, you can string together endless connections of full power with others. You can actually become the person who uh, has the maturity and the depth to connect amidst the nuisances of community. Uh, because you know how. Because you have... I love the, the, the um, electrical analogy because that is how it is. You need... God's connection coming through you. You need to know it. It needs to be a part of you. And then it will flow, be able to flow out of you. You can't just run around and try to follow the rules of perfect community. You'll burn out. You'll run out of steam. You'll expect that community to satisfy you and to fill you completely. You need to get satisfied and filled completely elsewhere. And then you can flow in to the nuisance-filled community that we live around. And Eugene Peterson, in his book, he, uh, in that same chapter, he also talks about how, basically, just to paraphrase, that in the Christian church, there's no going solo. You can pretend, you can try to do it, but the very fact of entering in to a relationship with God through Jesus means that you, whether you like it or not, you are now in community. You just are. Now you are now part of a multiplicity of a body. And so just pause as we close. Think about this year, what's going to be your plug-in zone? What's going to be the place where you are in community with nuisances that you're going to commit to in a way that God commits to you for the long haul? Do you have? It has to get tangible. It can't just be, I mean, we're all together right now, but it's more than what's happening right here. It's, it's more like what often happens in our small groups. Maybe for you, maybe you've signed up for our dive group and that's already started and that's your place. Maybe you're connected to the Tuesday pod. Maybe you're um, connected to the Monday group or something else. Uh, what is it for you? What's it going to be this year? A tangible place of connection to plug in to others, to live this out. And you know... If enough people, if enough of you realize, stop and realize, I don't have something, I don't have it yet, and that's a huge thing that's missing. Um, and if enough of you come to that realization and come maybe talk to me or write that on a prayer on a card, then uh, maybe we'll have enough to start a new midweek group. And then maybe on Easter, when there's some of your friends and visitors, that some folks will have something to plug into to get connected to the currency of God two weeks away. Um, there is one place, you know, I kind of badmouthed the early church and talked like it was just a miserable place for Christian community. But actually this Psalm 133, where we, we see that God loves to and wants to pour out blessing in places where there's human harmony. There, is, there are moments, and there could be moments here, right now, in the next few weeks, there could be moments like this. 
Let me read this if I can if I can not lose my place here. A place where it happened. A place where the connection was strong and God's blessing flowed out in a way that I've never actually myself seen live and in person in a church that I've been a part of. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs performed by the apostles. This is the part I wanted to focus on. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then these last couple of things are fascinating. It's the outpouring of God's blessing. They praised God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'd love to be a part of a church like that. I, don't, I haven't yet where, there's that, where you could so clearly say those two things. Enjoying the favor of all the people and God adding to their number daily. Those are things you can't just make, you can't manufacture. That is the, the incredible, extravagant blessing of God flowing through the lines of human harmony. Let us pray. God, as we um, think about these words in this powerful psalm, Triune God, you exist in community of three, but you are incomparably united as one. We think we can go it alone, resisting all the valuable annoyances of being linked in community with others. Without others knowing us deeply, our spiritual lives are going to have grotesque deformities. Our blind spots will be our downfall, and we won't get grace. So we look to your prayer in John 17. And we ask you to show us how to get there and show us one act of community that we should pursue today. In Jesus' name, amen.